Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And I want to be a source of light for them and encouraging. And so we have these really hard conversations, but... I allow them to go through this very uncomfortable feelings of coming to terms with this because it's worth it in the end because education is the antidote, right? It really, it it breaks open the lions of delusion. The truth really does set you free. And so it's worth feeling uncomfortable because it's going to enlighten you and empower you to get out of it. Otherwise they stay lost in this confusion. Like maybe I'm wrong. I'm overthinking this. Maybe it's me. Maybe if I try harder and this lots of women get stuck there for their whole lives, we have to kind of jolt them into reality and say, Hey, this is what you're dealing with. And it's dark and you better get out and save yourself. Welcome to how my parents raised me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment content warning if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast please seek a helpline in your city hey beautiful souls i don't know if most of us understand too much about the narcissist until it's too late the narcissist isn't walking around with a badge telling us to beware of the narcissist and so We can find ourselves drawn into this parallel universe. It's chaotic and confusing and we don't understand what is happening to us. This person can be charming. They can be the person that you think you need in your life. 
they might be doing everything seemingly perfectly for a while but it won't last forever because the narcissist is playing a role the part of their brain that feels empathy and love hasn't developed they cannot love they have a huge ego they believe they are special and unique and they believe they are entitled to whatever their heart desires and so none of it is real the love the attention the entire relationship they will use you when it suits them and discard you when they're done and if you grow up with a narcissistic parent you will no doubt suffer in very big ways you will have damaged boundaries damaged self-esteem you might feel unsafe lack confidence and have no sense of self the betrayal is huge and so destructive and it might take you years to figure out that this has even happened to you i'm chatting with nicole on the podcast this week nicole has first-hand experience of more than one narcissistic relationship including her parents she is an expert on the topic of the narcissist and she is sharing some really valuable information that you need to hear. Please join me for this chat with Nicole. Nicole, you work with survivors of narcissistic abuse and domestic violence through programs where you're promoting healing and offering support groups to people who have suffered in narcissistic relationships. I'm excited to chat to you today and I know many listeners of the podcast have struggled so much in narcissistic relationships and will be super keen to hear everything that you have to say on this very important topic. Why is helping survivors of narcissistic abuse so important to you? Hi, Don. Thank you for having me on today. I'm really excited to be here. This is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I understand where the survivors are coming from because I'm a survivor myself. And narcissistic abuse is so complicated and convoluted and difficult to navigate through. It really leaves the survivor feeling uh, devastated. Lots of the time, their lives are in complete shambles. They'll come to us and they will be suicidal their lives have gone through terrible upheavals and they're usually left and discarded by their narcissist for something you know more fun or exciting new and because narcissistic abuse is still a relatively new topic there's not a lot out there in terms of how to deal with it or how to even come to terms with for example, how would you know you were dealing with a narcissist unless somebody has told you that? You just feel like you're in a bad relationship at the time. And so I like for me, I was with I was married to a narcissist and I had no idea that I was with even an abuser. I just thought he was a jerk. You know, I didn't realize I was just thought I was in a terrible marriage. And I just remember this moment in my life where I was like 50 pounds heavier. I was upset, depressed, laying on the couch, pretty miserable. And uh, Dr. Phil came on and had a list of emotional abuse and what those symptoms were and what the statistics look like. And I thought, oh my God, I have every single one of those. And I was like, this is emotional abuse. I had no clue. I mean, I'd heard the word, but I never really understood what it meant. So I had no clue that I was going through that. And so it just never, you never feel like that's happening to me. It just seems so far removed. And emotional abuse is, is kind of hard to uh, put your finger on um, when you've never been taught what that looks like. So anyways, it, that started my journey of, uh, of learning about narcissistic abuse and, and coming to terms with what was happening with me. And you know, education is so important because it really is the catalyst for the truth. And then once you know the truth about your situation, then you can deal with it. But in narcissistic abuse, it's so complicated. You feel like you're lost in a fog and you're lost, you're alone, you're scared, you're hurting and you're in a lot of pain. And there's not very many people that even appreciate what you're going through, let alone know how to help you. And so in a lot of times, you're not even getting believed by the people in their lives so it's it's a mess and it's a very complicated situation and so i 
had to get to the bottom of it for myself because I was very ill. And I knew that if I didn't do something, I was not going to get better. And there were times in my life I even thought about not living. And that is not the type of person that I am. And so it really got that dark for me. And so I jumped into action and started just absorbing as much information as I could. And that's my recommendation for all women who are not sure with what any time you're in a traumatic situation, you should start reaching out for information. It's like, if you figure out you have cancer, you should start Googling it, right? Figuring out what, what does this mean exactly? And really wrapping your head around anything you can find to help you identify the full capacity of what you're being exposed to. So that then, you know, you can make educated choices and deal with it from an educated perspective instead of just being blindsided over and over again. So back to answer your question, because I digress. I believe I found the antidote to narcissistic abuse in my own life. And I was motivated after I figured those things out to turn around and help this cause as much as I can bring awareness to emotional abuse and help survivors. Because if we can, why wouldn't we want to help people in this way, right? So and we have, and we're really excited about it. I love it. Yeah. And I love that you were in this terrible low point and you were just watching the TV and then Dr. Phil came up and, and just, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? That we hear about other people and they're going through terrible things, but when we're in the middle of something like that, often we're not even really looking for answers. We're just so low and we don't realize that we're even being emotionally abused and that's kind of scary I think it is I'd love to start right at the beginning and just ask you to give us a rundown on what is a narcissist well first of all narcissism is on a spectrum so you can be and everybody's a little bit narcissistic everybody falls on the spectrum in some capacity so as if we weren't somewhat narcissistic, then we would have no possessions, right? We would just sell all our things and just not be able to survive. So on some level, we have to be a little bit selfish. So that's another word to think about when you're thinking about this is how selfish is this person? And the higher they get up on that spectrum, the closer they get to the personality disorder, which according to um, the psychology, psychological industry, you have to have the disorder if you hit the first, I think there's about nine circumstances that you have to actually hit at least five of those in order to be considered a narcissist. You have to have these particular symptoms to be considered a classic psychological narcissist that has this disorder. And then it goes up into sociopathy and psych uh, psychopathy as well. And so you have to have another set of diagnoses in order to be considered to have the actual medical condition. But most people that you run into on the street are going to be people that have narcissistic tendencies. I like to call them narcissistic fleas or behavior patterns. So they're even, you know, more selfish than the average bear, right? So you know people out there in the world who are so selfish that they're willing to sacrifice other people to get what they want out of any situation. Manipulators, you know, yeah. con artists, they exist and we don't realize it um, because they don't come with a sign. They don't walk around saying, I am a narcissist or a sociopath. And because of Hollywood, we have this idea that a sociopath is someone standing at next door with a knife and we don't, we don't realize that really they're just a person who is, their thinking is disordered or pathological, which means diseased. So they actually are not thinking clearly, almost like you would think of like a schizophrenic. They're not in touch with reality. So it's just another, and there's lots of different disorders, personality disorders, like borderline personality and schizophrenia, and you could be bipolar. All of these fit along the same kind of lines as a, as a narcissist. It really is a medical diagnosis, right? So so that's the first thing to know. And the other thing that we always get caught up in is I need to diagnose my spouse or my boyfriend or the, my boss. I need to know where if they're a narcissist or not. No, you don't. What you need to know is how it's affecting your life. Are you bothered deeply by this person's behavior? Is this person hurting you in a manner that you cannot tolerate? That's really the question we should be asking ourselves. How's this affecting my health? How's this affecting my mental state? You know, am I so miserable that every day I get like 
pie. I was just thinking about going to work because I know my boss could potentially be in a terrible mood and he's going to attack me or verbally abuse me in front of somebody else. And so you're scared to death and now you're taking antidepressants. That's how you have to think about it is, is this person abusive? And if they are, then you need to take action to protect yourself on one level or another. So we can spend years trying to get down to the bottom of somebody as a narcissist or not, but it's really not that important. And even psychotherapists will, are very reluctant to label someone a full-blown narcissist or psychopath because of a couple of reasons. One, it's really, really hard to, it's really hard to get to that reality, to come to terms with the fact that that person really does have this disease because it's insidious. It's, there's no clear cut obvious signs so you'd have to observe this person intently over a long period of time and see their behavior patterns in order to really be able to identify them. And then you have to be a psychologist or a doctor to be able to clinically diagnose somebody so as a layman like us you wouldn't want to walk around and i did that my kids were able to diagnose narcissists by the time they were five it was terrible we talked about narcissists <laughs> all the time which we all think it's so funny now that i do this for a living so i've been talking about narcissists for like 15 years and they all because I really wanted my kids to be educated because I did not want this to happen to them. So what, what I learned, I taught to them. And now they know what it looks like and how to protect themselves, and set up boundaries. I know that there's a couple of different types of narcissists, aren't there? Yeah. So narcissists can come in a whole variety of different types. And, and the way you really think about it is what manipulation techniques do they use, right? Because they all have the core underlining same behavior patterns. So once you figure out how a narcissist behaves, then you'll be able to identify them no matter what type they are, because some of them are more interested in, it just depends on what they want as well. So some of them are more interested in sex. So they're the type of narcissist that will just be out um, trying to get as many women to fall for them so they can use them in that capacity. Um, some narcissists are into power and control. It just depends on their circumstances, but the main types are overt or covert narcissism. That's what you're going to either run into one or the other. So an overt narcissist, somebody who's obvious narcissist, those are the guys or the women that walk in the room and love attention. They're loud, they're boisterous usually, or their persona is, they don't even have to talk. But you know them because you walk in the room and they make themselves known. It's like, here I am, world. You know you want me. Everybody in the room wants a piece of this. I know my mom, this type of narcissist, and she, her whole life, just loves attention. She loves being the center of the room. She can work a room. She gets, she's very charming and obvious about it. So that's the type of person they, are there a guy too who thinks that, um, all the women want him. He's, he's like a, he's a charming Don Juan. That's that overt type. But then there's a covert, which is a lot harder to identify because they're a lot more quiet about it. And they're more, more passive aggressive in their, their manipulation techniques. So a narcissist, an overt will just straight up abuse you until you got to put up with it because you get the privilege of being with me. Whereas a covert, is more self-degrading. They're more, they are considered the shy narcissist. So they're more covert on their techniques. So this is the kind of guy that is going to make you feel bad about yourself without really letting you know that he's doing it. Like he'll maneuver, they're very manipulative and he'll maneuver things in a way to degrade you without you even realizing like, are you gonna wear that today? Well, I thought you told me to let you know when, when it made you look fat. I, you better think about like, it almost like it's, it's disguised in a way that makes you believe they have your best interests at heart, but really it's a degrading manipulation technique to put you down and make you feel terrible about yourself. It's horrible. So, so a covert is somebody that is sneaky or shy about their, their uh, manipulation techniques, and they're always the victim. Woe is me. They're going to tell you a huge sob story. I am, I am the, I'm always the poor kid who's always getting the poor stick. And you should feel sorry for me. And they do this. This is particularly damaging because when you leave one, they're going to now exploit you and tell everybody else around you that it was you that really was abusing them and really degrade your reputation to make them appear as the victim to save face with their community. And so they do a huge smear campaign and it really leaves the victims left with a terrible reputation because they just walk around lying.
about what happened and then people believe them because who does that right it's a hard thing for people to recognize or realize that somebody would totally make up how the relationship ended just to make themselves look good so yeah one's super obvious you know you know you want me i'm amazing and the other one is behind the scenes kind of victimized shy but still secretly believes that he's entitled to be treated with special behavior and the rules don't apply to him. He gets his way and you better give it to him or else. Yeah. yeah. And how does somebody become a narcissist? Is it from their own experiences growing up? I mean, we're, and we're not born a narcissist, are we? So this is a controversial concept that's still being investigated as we speak. It is not scientifically proven yet, but what they do believe is that it has a nurture and nature component. So the nurture component is environmental. So if you are exposed to trauma of any sort, and we're talking, even if you were bullied at school or your parents were neglectful emotionally, you can still be traumatized as a child. You get a lot of people who don't realize they went through trauma, you know, because they didn't have some seriously obvious situation happen in their childhood. And so they don't realize that, you know, just because my father favored my sister over me and totally neglect me because I wasn't a little boy. That's traumatic for a little kid. And that could actually cause serious psychological consequences. People don't realize. So for someone to become a narcissist, they have to have trauma at some level in their youth as a child. And then they also have to have a genetic component, which I believe is hereditary. Obviously, almost all our genes are passed down to us through our line, right? So they have to have the genetic predisposition coupled with trauma and together that creates a narcissist. The other flip point of that is if you overindulge your child too much, you can also, like if you don't hold your kid accountable, you put them up on a pedestal and you let them bully the whole family and you just do what they want to keep them happy. That could also overindulge a child and make them believe that they are superior and deserve superior treatment through their life. It is, it's a personality and that's why they call it personality disorder. You're actually teaching them how to behave through exposure. So you have to have those two components. So if a person is born with that component, but has a pretty decent childhood, then more than likely they won't become a narcissist. And if they uh, don't have the component, then they won't. Yeah. I had an experience over a number of years where I feel like there was just this kind of confusion around friendship group and nothing really felt right. But in the end, it impacted my mental health in really big ways. It felt very manipulative, but I feel like I was totally unaware of what was happening and that's that's the issue isn't it with with narcissists because we don't often know that this is even happening to us we just feel like we're getting lower and lower and it's just confusion I just wonder how do we spot that somebody is a narcissist what are the things that we can look out for or the feelings that we might be feeling that we can sort of look more into this okay so first of all really getting in touch with yourself and knowing yourself is really the first and every time i start talking about this to our clients they start falling asleep because we all want to hyper focus on the narcissist but we don't have control over the narcissist right we only have control over ourselves and we are walking around in a world full of people that have different behavioral patterns and some of those people are predators and we have to become aware of that reality. We cannot be in denial about the fact that we live in a dangerous situation. And so we have to be educated and aware and alert to danger. And then we have to be in tune with our bodies. Our bodies are designed to keep us safe. And that internal, like you were saying, it didn't feel good. And that's because your subconscious is designed to pick up on when you are in an unsafe situation. And that's why we get gut feelings or instincts that something is wrong but what we do for a variety of reasons is we ignore those thoughts or those feelings and we push them down and think oh i'm just being hypercritical or maybe i'm being too sensitive maybe i'm wrong here maybe i'm off but i feel something we need to go with that gut because that's our instincts telling us that something is wrong and pain and discomfort is a signal or a sign that we need to do something different and we need to not ignore it. We're the only species that ignores that. All other animals that, uh, that are in a, that get that weird feeling, hightail it the other direction, but only humans just keep on going anyways and try to reason or rationalize 
that we are, it's going to be okay anyway. No, it might not. And you need to take heed and listen. So, but there's a reason why, and in your case, particularly when you, in mine too, when you're group, when you grow up in an abusive family arrangement, you are taught not to connect to that part of yourself and to listen to your gut instincts because you're not allowed to have an alternate opinion or your own thoughts or your separate feelings. So you're actually abused or chastised every time you try to access that part of you. So you're trained early not to even go there or to second guess it or even feel guilty if you listen. feels wrong still. So that's what I mean, becoming aware of ourselves. Why did I put up with this before? and not seeing these red flags and um, taking heat and went high-tailed at the other direction. And then how can I stop myself from doing that in the future? So that's the first thing. Am I a responsible person in listening to my own body cues, first of all? And do I respect those triggers uh, and their validity is the first technique. Because when you do walk up to an unsafe situation like a narcissist, your body will tell you. I did both times I married. Well, I probably shouldn't say that on air, but uh, when I end up with a narcissist, the first time I really meet them face to face and can see my body told me right away, no, this is a bad idea, even though I was been exposed to many of them in my life. But I disregarded those feelings because I wanted to be wrong. That's why I wanted to be in a relationship. I wanted this to work. So I overrode that inner knowingness because I didn't want to believe it. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. I didn't like that message. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. listen to this. But what happens is if you proceed anyways, you're going to cry later. That's what helps me today. If I keep going with this, when I know it's wrong, I'm not going to like the consequences five years, two years, three years down the road. But that's what experience does for you. It teaches you that you can learn from your mistakes in the past and not do that again. And you have to be that kind of person or you're going to end up suffering over and over again. So what are the telltale signs? They're actually quite simple. First of all, a narcissist is going to be super duper charming right from the beginning. These are the type of people that make you feel really, really good in their presence at the beginning, right? They are going to smother you with flattery. They use flattery and lies to seduce their victims. So just know that if you meet somebody who is schmoozing you, you need to have, a, you, it needs to go ding, ding. Some red flags need to go off and go, something's wrong here because normal healthy people don't treat other people that way. It's like, hi, my name's Nicole. What's your name? Oh, good. Nice to meet you. And slowly we get to know each other, but that's not the way with a narcissist. When you meet him or her, they're going to be like, oh my God, we're best friends. I love you. You know, and it's going to be, you're the most amazing thing I've ever heard and seen. And I'm so excited about you. And I can't wait to get to know you. And it's going to be like, they're just going to smother you with flattery. And if you're a person who maybe was neglected in their life, that flattery is going to feel really good. And so then you're going to keep lapping it up because it's filling a void. And they know that, see? A narcissist grooms its victims. So this narcissist has spotted you long before you were aware of them, which is a creepy thing to realize. But they're actually looking. You know, you know, sexual predators for kids, they actually look around schoolyards and um, circumstances to find the kids who they know are suffering in some way, right? They're looking for the kid who they know is lonely or depressed or doesn't have a good support system. And then those are the children they use as their victims. Well, narcissists do the same thing. They groom us long before and see, what is this person needing? Are they lonely? Like, are they a widow and miss having somebody in their life? Um, you see them all online all the time looking for these older women who have money and who are desperate to have somebody love them. And so they come in, they've already profiled this person and watched and stalked them like an alligator. And then they come and I know, isn't it? It's creepy, but they need to know this because they believe, oh, I just ran into this random guy and oh, he's interested in me. Oh, and this is going to be something great. No, no, no. This is a predator who stalked you out in advance. And if he shows up in your door and smothers you with attention, you have to ask yourself, what does this person want from me? And why is he being so nice? And then not all nice is bad, but in this case, it's overindulgent. And then, so that's the first sign. And they call that love bombing, where it's just lots of attention. They will be the kind of person you meet and they will be texting you. This is love interests. It's a little bit different when we start talking about different relationships, but in a love interest situation, they're going to text you all day long. They're going to want to be around you 24 seven. 
it's going to be an immediate enmeshment into your life. And that's not a healthy person. Healthy people don't behave that way. So really giving yourself time to get to know people is a huge number one. If you could just do that and you don't remember anything else from this podcast, whenever you meet anybody, give yourself time to let them prove to you who they are. And if you could trust them with intimate details about your life before you start letting them into places where they could actually exploit you. And I'm not talking about being jaded and just walking around everybody's out to get you, but no, be, just be wise and observant and observe people. And within a very short period of time, people will show you who they are loud and clear. If you just watch and you have to be willing to accept what you find out. Like Maya Angelou says, when people teach you who they are, accept it, you know, believe them. So that's huge. That's one big thing that I can tell you right this second. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important information to know. And I liked that you said in nature, every other animal is, as soon as they get those feelings that something's not right, they're hightailing it out of there. And for us, we, we often can go for years. Everybody else around this person doesn't see it. So I must be getting this wrong. And yeah, and it's so important just to listen to to what you know, because you do actually know that about that person. The reason why we're second guessing ourselves too, there's a lot that comes into it. Cause once you're in a relationship with one, you're being lied to and manipulated and conned by this person too. So they're telling you everything you want to hear. And you don't know that a person's lying to you. How would you, you don't just go, Oh, he's lying. We don't just automatically assume people are, are lying and manipulating us. So it's, it is complicated. And the other thing is they abuse behind closed doors. So everyone else who's had experiences with them will not support your position when you try to tell them, hey, they're abusive because their experience with that person is quite pleasant. They've never seen that side of him. So then you're like, he's abusive. And they're thinking, no, I've never seen him do that. So then they have you second guessing your perception because they are not experiencing the experience you're having with that individual because they're hiding. They're good at this. They've had lots of practice. Yeah. Hiding who they really are. Yeah. Yeah. And so how does a narcissist feel about themselves? Because there's a lot of ego with a narcissist. Are they ever able to look within themselves or is that not something that they can do? So if you ever want to really get to know a person or understand them, you have to kind of look at their reality from their perspective instead of your own. Because, you know, we all see things based on our own experience. So you kind of have to get in their heads to realize, you know, how they think and operate. So from their perspective, they are a traumatized child themselves. They've dealt with probably a narcissistic parent and a codependent parent in their own home. So no doubt they were abused. So you're talking about a child who was abused, who never evolved or grew up emotionally. So is still operating out of a very toddler-esque emotional perspective. So um, there's that component to think about. And if, if you ever try to reason with a toddler or tell a toddler they need to change, how does that go for you? <laughs> it's like, no, you can't have uh, ice cream for breakfast. I want ice cream. No, no, no. It's not reasonable. Well, they don't care about reason or logic or what's right or wrong. They just want what they want in the moment. And that's how narcissists think. I just want what I want and you better give it to me or else, period. Or we're going to have a problem. And they don't say it that way because that doesn't get them what they want. They've figured out techniques to get you to give them what they want. But that's the idea behind how they feel. And so, so can they self-reflect Absolutely not. Why? Because they have a super tiny, fragile ego. This is a child who was neglected and abused. And so they've created a hard outer shell to protect themselves and that out in that inner, very vulnerable child lost inside is hurting. And so they've decided, I don't ever want anyone to treat me this way or humiliate me again or make me feel this way ever again. So I'm going to put out this hard outer shell. And I'm going to be the bully now and I'm going to get people before they get me. And I'm never going to trust anybody again or let them see my true self. And they even, some um, psychologists will say they've actually separated and disconnected from that true self. They're not even aware of it themselves. So they have this alternate ego. It's the best way to think about it. And that ego is who they believe they really are. But it's hiding the real fragile, very timid insecure human being on the inside, that child that's basically locked away that they've forgotten about. But at their whole world revolves around them protecting that ego. It is their life force. They believe that this has to be stabilized in order for their very survival. And this is all unconscious. They don't 
think this out unless they're a there are some more mature narcissists that are more intellect that do understand some of these components but for the most part a lot of this is behavioral patterns that are not conscious decisions in the moment they are acting out what they've been taught and know how to get what they want so when you try to go to a narcissist and ask them to change or you bring up a point you need because they've done something wrong that you need addressed, they will not ever let you even insinuate that they're not perfect. They will immediately find a way to either attack you, to make it your fault, to blame shift the, the situation onto you. Their brains are actually hardwired to find a logical explanation for why you are responsible for what's happened, no matter what it is. So they can have sex with your sister, but it's your fault somehow. And they will come up with a logical explanation and they will believe that and try to convince you that you really are the problem. And they really believe that to be the case, which goes to show how debauched their thinking is. Like they really are believing that, hey, I had to have sex with her sister because she, she went to work today and I was bored and I needed to get laid. What's the problem with that? What's wrong with you that you don't let me do that? You know, and that's how they think. And so they will not entertain any idea that they're not perfect. And if you try to poke your finger in that direction, they will bite you. Wow. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's almost like you'd think you, if they weren't so destructive that you'd want to feel sorry for them because they actually it's totally screwed up isn't it yeah. if they were if it didn't affect other people then you'd look at them and say oh my gosh you poor thing your brain is like a mess but because they're kind of ruining lives nobody can see that side of it can they and really they're really unhappy fragile vulnerable it's like that grumpy guy grumpy old man next door who like cusses the kids out if they accidentally touch his grass you know, he's so violent that it's, it's hard to feel sorry for him, but really why is he that violent? Well, because he's suffering inside. He's hurting because happy people don't hurt other people. They just don't, they're not, they're not interested and they're not motivated to treat people poorly. So these people are quite miserable on the inside and they're always looking for the next best thing to make them feel alive again and make them feel good and to fill up that dark void. That's why they're always discarding or cheating or doing something. They need constant excitement because they're trying to hide from the true pain that lies inside of them. The same reason why people use all addictive substances is they want relief from the pain, right? Yeah. And that's a narcissist. They want relief from their pain or their boredom. And so they're always looking for something to excite them and get them ready to feeling alive again. And you do feel sorry for them. And I think my, my personal opinion, after all the work that I've done and all of the growth that I feel like I've been able to do, I think, I hope, is I believe that you can have compassion and empathy for them. But I think as codependents, we do this the wrong way. We believe we're showing them love and compassion by sacrificing ourselves for them, by staying in a relationship and letting them abuse us. But really, is that even loving them? If we know that their bad behavior really warrants discipline or action that causes consequences, is it really loving them, allowing those natural consequences to take place so they can learn from them if they will, right? It's kind of like a child who, um, who does something bad. If you don't discipline them, then you're basically teaching them, you're condoning bad behavior and you're saying it's okay. And you're teaching them that they, there's no consequences for their actions, which is, which is doing a disadvantage to them. It's not helping them grow or evolve or learn from their mistakes. It's actually enabling bad behavior. And that's what we do 
but we don't realize it when we stay with a narcissist and feel sorry for them, keep trying to fix them. Because one human being can't fix another. We're human. Fixing ourselves is hard enough, let alone yeah. trying to fix somebody else. <laughs> That's not possible. And they and the truth is narcissists don't want you to fix them. They like it like this. They're choosing this. You if you ever try to talk to a narcissist, they actually resent the idea that you're even telling them they're wrong for living this way. So how dare you tell me? I don't, I, they'll actually say to you, don't tell me how to live my life. This is what they want. And they're getting their needs met this way. And they figured that out. And you're spoiling their party by trying to change it and fix them and get them to do something different. So the loving thing is to let them go and live in that space. Fine. If that's how you choose to live your life. That's your beat. That's your right to choose. But I can't let myself be destroyed by you in the process because narcissists have the disease that hurts other people. And that's by nature what they do. If you get close enough to a narcissist, they will hurt you because you're in the, they're in the vicinity. By nature, they're going to, that pain and that anger is going to spill over onto you in one way or another. They're going to lash out it, take it out on you. Yeah. Or the dog or the kids by nature every time. Yeah. And you touched on it before, but narcissistic supply which i read about is that what they're doing when they're just trying to fill that empty hole inside them they just it's just the things that they need to make themselves feel better about themselves is that pretty much what that is yeah you have to think about supply is like it's energy it's attention it's basically getting their needs met whatever they want from you in the moment and it could be anything it could be money it could be sex it could be your attention they could need you to help them with rear their kids, do their laundry, whatever they want at the moment. It's your job to, to take care of me. And I want something from you. And that's actual, what you hear about this, like statistically in the industry, that supply is, is emotional energy. So they want to get you emotionally riled up and for them to see you uh, react emotionally. It's emotional manipulation because that makes them feel powerful. See, I can make her cry. See, I can make her angry. Watch, I can turn the top and look what, I, it's the same thing as a toddler. Mommy, look what I can do. Look what I can do. I'm powerful. I have this kind of power. I can make them lose it. Mine would make me cry. And then in front of my kids, he would wink. It was sick, right? And it's like, look at the power I have over this other human being. And it's, um, it's debauched and it's dangerous and it's terrible, but that's what they want. So the antidote to narcissism is to not give them the energy. I used to say, I'm done watching my mom's name is Susie. I, I said, I'm done watching the Susie show. I'm not going to entertain it anymore. It's over because I have to remove my emotional energy because I cannot, because what happens is this push pull thing they do. And sometimes you're the best thing that ever happened to them. And then sometimes they hate your guts and they're exploiting and degrading you and devaluing you until you're left with zero self-confidence and self-esteem. And over time it leaves you as shell of who you used to be. And it actually makes you physically ill. And as long as you continue to be emotionally invested, they will have that kind of pull over you. And it's because we love them and it's terrible, but they actually take that love and they exploit it for their own personal gain. They're perpetrators and they're interested in emotional energy. And so they will use your feelings against you. They actually think your feelings are a weakness. Oh, you love me? Great. I can exploit you. I can take advantage of you. So yeah. we are, because we have bleeding hearts, trying to help somebody in need, but really they see it as an opportunity to exploit you. These are opportunists. Yeah. And so if we are born to a narcissist if our mother or father or both is a narcissist what does a child end up believing about themselves so for the codependents of the world those that don't absorb the narcissistic persona if you are raised in a house and you're abused by one then it really it does a whole host of long-term complications right for starters you're abused as a child so you have you experience childhood trauma on a a variety of levels, depending on the severity of your abuse. Like my parents were not abusive. They didn't physically hurt us or, you know, do some of the terrible other things some parents do to their kids, but they were emotionally aloof. And so that still had consequences because it was, it was emotional neglect. 
And so what happens is because kids need a whole variety of things. They need shelter. They need to be looked after. They need to be kept alive. They need food. But they also need emotional resources. They need to know what love looks like, taught about feelings and how to manage yourself and, and how to be yourself. You know, what does that look like? What does it look like to have good self-confidence? How to love one another? How to talk to each other? How to communicate? We learn everything from our parents. So when your parents model to you toxic behavior patterns, you absorb that as that's just the way things are. This is how we do relationships. This is how you handle your feelings. This is what life looks like. And until you become an adult and you come to terms with, well, for me, it was like, I don't want that. So I had to figure out like, wow, this is terrible. Do I have to live this way or can I make a different decision? And then you can, if you want, you can teach yourself healthy habits that will actually give you the results you really want. You don't have to continue to live in that toxicity. But that's what really sets the tone for your whole relationships going forward. It really sets your perception. Your whole view of the world is based on what you've been exposed to as a child. So if you think that people are mean or they don't respect your feelings or your rights and you're not allowed to say no, then you're going to grow up believing the world's a scary place. You're not allowed to have rights and you can't say no. You're going to, some level, not consciously, will behave according to those rules. And so it causes a whole host of complications because, well, in my case, I had terrible self-confidence and I had no idea because, I, so when just confidence alone, self-esteem, which is actually the core issue for us who end up as codependents and tolerate bad behavior is because on some level, we feel ashamed of who we are because we were abused as a kid. And that shame makes us feel unworthy on some level so we tolerate less than what we want from people because on some level we believe we deserve it. We can't ask for more or we're not entitled to more. So that's really the core of the issue with people who are dealing with and keep tolerating abusive behavior. That's one big reason. And so, so self-confidence, if you were raised in a household where you had um, super healthy parents who loved you unconditionally, that's the other big big concept really love is the answer to all humans problems and when you are raised in a narcissistic and codependent household there's not a lot of love happening there because they're disconnected from their emotions so they're physically keeping you alive and they're maybe not being the worst parents ever but emotionally there's not a lot of heavy duty emotional attachment and connection and so then that part of us never evolves and grows especially the narcissist. If the mother or somebody didn't really love that child, then they never learn what empathy and compassion looks like. And they literally don't have the part of the brain developed that's responsible for connection and empathy. And so they really just don't even have it to give you at all. It just doesn't exist for them. They don't know that. They think they love you, but they don't know that they don't really love you because they don't have the brain capacity to do it. So for us on the other side of that, who do love and do have some attachment to our feelings, then we inherently blame ourselves for our abuse as kids. So our parents are imperfect, but we don't know it as children. We think our parents are gods and they do everything right. And they have to be right. And so when we're, something goes wrong or we're abused, then we have to believe it's our fault. And so we absorb that shame as if something's wrong with me. That's why daddy or mommy doesn't love me or they hit me or they treated me this way. It's me. I'm to blame. And no one corrects that thinking for you. So you actually carry that into adulthood and that translates as poor self-confidence yeah. or self-esteem. So the flip side is if you had parents that really loved you unconditionally, they respected your feelings, you were allowed to be different and have your own opinion. And those were all encouraged and supported. Then you would grow up knowing yourself, you know how you feel, you know what you think, you know what you believe in, and you'd be allowed to grow into that version of yourself. But with a narcissistic family, it doesn't go like that. You're not allowed to have any of that. You just do as you're told, make me happy and keep quiet about it. And yeah. if you do that, you don't die. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Wow. Um, but I was interested and that kind of flicked a little switch in my head that you said the narcissist thinks that they love you, but they don't have the capacity to love. And that's like, oh my gosh, that's, that kind of, that really it's creepy. explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, I had a therapist when I was um, going through my, trying to figure this all out in my marriage. And she actually sat me down and said, your husband does not love you. And I was like, oh, and I didn't understand narcissism the way I do today. So that kind of stung a little bit. But it really was the truth. 
And she said, it's because he doesn't love people. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know what that is. She said, he thinks he loves his mother because he believes he should, but he doesn't. It's almost like, you know, when you accidentally step on an ant, you don't feel bad about it. You feel nothing. You know, that's kind of how they feel when they hurt people. They don't feel anything about it. It's like, ah, it's not, I didn't mean to step on the ant. This is a narcissist. Sociopath's different. I didn't mean to sit on that, but since I did, well, I had, I was walking. So it's all logical to them. Like, and so they don't feel now, if we ran over a dog, then we'd be like, ah, oh my God, I just killed a dog. You'd be crying. You'd feel, they don't have those feelings. So they would run over a dog and feel exactly the same as they did about an ant. The stupid dog shouldn't have ran out into the streets. That's what happens if you do that dumb dog and they drive off and they don't feel anything. Now, sociopath or what? they use the word sociopath now instead of psychopath. That's the term they used to use. I think it's because it's scary. A sociopath is somebody who actually would run the dog over on purpose and enjoy it. It's, they just like to do the wrong thing. They get off on it. Okay. So if you're in a situation where you're either a, a child or an older child or an adult with a narcissistic parent and you feel like you're unable to really escape the situation what would be the best things that you can do for yourself to get through it yeah this is a hard one right because when it's a partner you can just go well I'll get a divorce because I can't let this person you know kill me right but when it's a parent you really can't replace a parent can't you know, like you don't get another dad, right? Or another mother. And then a lot of the times they're aging by the time you figure that out. And then you feel guilty because you're thinking, well, they're 70 now. What do I do? Just leave them when they need people the most. That would be unfair and unkind, right? So, so many people uh, struggle with this concept and it's really a personal decision. It's very, and it depends on how bad a person is too. Because remember, narcissism is on a spectrum. So some people you can deal with. And you can just separate yourself. If you know that your mother's a narcissist and she's going to abuse you when you go to Sunday dinner, then don't. Just call her on Sunday and just set healthy boundaries that protect you from her bad behavior, depending on what you can tolerate. So maybe maybe going on Sundays is, is fine for you because you know I'm not going to talk to her for six more days and I can tolerate her five minutes of bad behavior. And so you put up with it. But it really is about protecting and keeping yourself and your sanity safe. So, and I use the tool I use to help myself navigate that process is pain. If you get too close to somebody and it hurts, then that means you're too close and you need to back up because pain's a teacher. It's telling you something's wrong and you need to do something different. So if this person's causing you a lot of pain, then you have to act and make a different choice because you can't keep showing up and expecting different results. That's actually definition of insanity. So you have to accept the person where they are. They're not, I get people call me all the time. How do I make my mom or dad treat me different so I can stick around them. They're, no, you need to accept they're not going to treat you different. This is who they are. They have a personality disorder. Their brain is diseased. They're not going to be different with you. So accept reality and then make a different decision. Always get lost in this idea that we're somehow going to maneuver the situation and make it better because what we want overruling logic we want to be with them. We love them. We don't want to leave. We don't want to leave the house. We don't leave the kids or whatever our reasons are. But the truth is you're, you are, you are deluding yourself. If you believe that this person is going to be different, it's delusional. You know, it's, you're living in denial. The reality is this person is not going to change and you have to accept them for what they are and then act accordingly to protect yourself. Yeah. And it's so hard for people, isn't it? Because everybody wants the parents that are the loving parents. That's what we all want. So I guess when you come to that realization that you have to let parents go, it's almost like you've got to grieve that entire relationship. You have to grieve it even if you're with, stay in a relationship with them because they're not giving you the relationship you want to have with them. So you have to grieve the fact that I'm never going to have this close bond, my mother or father, whoever it is, right? The relationship I want to have with them is never going to be a possibility. And I have to make peace with that and grieve it and accept reality for my situation. And then decide from there, what am I going to do now? And how am I going to deal with this? And usually it's a process that takes time. You go through and you try things first. You try to set boundaries. You try to talk to them. You try to reason with them. And you work over time to see if you can work this out somehow before you go to this extreme and say, I just can never talk to you again. And in my case, I don't talk to either one of my parents anymore. And it's not because I just made that decision 
one day because I realized they're a narcissist. No, I had, I had worked for many, many years trying to find some way to still have them in my life without losing my mind. And since I absolutely, these two just would not cooperate and respect any boundary at all, then I just had to make that hard decision to preserve myself uh, because it got to that point. But not everybody has that circumstance. Some people can find ways to, to separate themselves. Get, you can just incorporate more space, call them less. So then I have another family member who's really close and I just have less association with that person because then I can still keep an eye on them, still help them, but I don't allow them to abuse me by just separating myself I know how much time before the abuse comes. It's like minutes. This is how much time, like maybe 30 minutes a week. After that, it's going to get ugly. So then I just go, oh, time to go. Love you. Bye. That's it. Wow. wow that's amazing. Oh my gosh. What are the things that we should be giving to ourselves, like self-love and learning boundaries? Are there other things that we should be doing for ourselves when we're sort of trying to get through or get past those narcissistic relationships? Okay, so recovery is a journey and it has phases. You know, you're you're at different phases depending on where you are in your exposure to reality it really is about coming to terms with the truth about your situation because many of us are lost in the fog so when you start educating yourself then you're going to become aware and become more and more attuned to the reality of what you're dealing with and then that really is what the beginning stages are of just really putting all the puzzle pieces together so I always teach my clients right so if you're at the very beginning where you're just figuring out what narcissism is then the first thing you want to do is first educate yourself and I mean, just get absorbed in it. Reading books, there's lots of videos, lots and lots of information out there. We have a whole school that we actually teach women about domestic violence and emotional abuse. And we actually go out and do workshops in the community too, to bring awareness to emotional violence against people, but just becoming aware so that you're no longer living in denial and you now can come out into reality. That's the first step. And then reality bite, that hurts. It's very painful, very, very painful. And we talk a lot about going no contact and low contact, but we don't talk a lot about how it makes the, per the survivor feel. It's terrible. Like you said, it's real grief. So you're going to go through those stages of grief that you would if you had any loss. So then you need to treat yourself the way you would if you had lost somebody in death, right? You would be depressed. You would have anxiety. You wouldn't sleep well. You would be maybe picking up habits that you probably wouldn't do otherwise to help soothe some of that pain. So you really have to to take it serious as if you were convalescing from something tragic, even like a surgery. I tell my clients physically deal with yourself like you were recuperating from surgery. And I tell them, go on a trip, go around people that you love. There's got to be somebody in your life that you know really, really loves you. Snuggle up next to that person. Let them love you. Let them connect with you. That's an antidote for trauma. You need connection. You need someone to see you and to respect what you've been through and to give you compassion and empathy and console you and soothe you. And then you have to learn how to soothe. It's a lot, right? Narcissistic abuse recovery is a big deal, but you also have to learn how to soothe your own feelings. So you don't want to stuff your feelings by drinking too much alcohol or doing drugs, or even you can get on prescriptions to help you cope with it, but you want to really sit with yourself and let yourself feel this. So that, cause there's only one way through grief and that's through it, not around it. So you actually have to let the feelings boil up, feel them, cry it out, journal it out, get therapists, go to doctors, come to our support groups, get help. And you, you have to have like a whole team of professionals. What would you do if you had cancer? You would have a, an oncologist. You'd have a regular doctor. You'd probably see somebody about fitness and nutrition. This is kind of the same thing. It's that tragic. But you need to get as much information as like, it's time to call in the big boys to come in and help you. And it's okay to need help. It's not wrong. And we're humans who have limits and we need people to come to our aid and support us when we go through hard things. And that's good and healthy and normal. And you should take advantage of those things for you. So at the Living Well, we have a sponsorship program where women who are going through their journey, who are further along support and help other women who are newer just so they have somebody that's listening, who can sit with them and understands their pain and validates their experience uh, because your friends and family aren't going to get it because they don't understand it. So they're not going to give you the empathy and compassion you deserve. 
So once you become educated, you have to give yourself empathy and compassion and treat yourself the way you would treat a really good friend who was going through something traumatic, right? You take her out and get her a massage. You'd be helping her eat healthy food. You'd be making sure she got lots of rest. You would help her journal. You would be looking for ways to help soothe her pain. And that's what you need to treat yourself that way. But many codependents don't, which is why we have a whole school because we're so worried about everybody else that we don't take care of ourselves in this way. We actually feel bad when we do. And that's because we were taught by unhealthy people that that's normal and you should feel bad when it's, it's a lie that we were taught. So there's that. So educating yourself, getting support uh, and taking very good care of yourself and your body, getting out into nature, acupuncture, massage, touch, get a dog, grounding techniques, Somatic experience is another big thing. There's a lot to this, but learning how to get out of fight or flight because you're in fight or flight and you're stuck there and you've been there for too long and your body is starting to disintegrate because of it, because of the chemicals, does a number on our physical body. So if you're suffering emotionally, you're suffering embarrassment, you feel like you've failed and you're physically suffering and nobody believes you. Yeah. All while you try to get out. It's terrible. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. Wow. <laughs> And it's a lot, my goodness. Yeah. And I have to try to figure out a way to support these women and keep it positive because it gets very dark, right? And I want to be a, a source of light for them and encouraging. And so we have these really hard conversations, but I allow them to go through this very uncomfortable feelings of coming to terms with this because it's worth it in the end because education is the antidote, right? It really, it, it breaks open the lie and the delusion meant the truth really does set you free and so it's worth feeling uncomfortable because it's going to enlighten you and empower you to get out of it otherwise they stay lost in this confusion like maybe i'm wrong i'm overthinking this maybe it's me maybe if i try harder and this lots of women get stuck there for their whole lives we have to kind of jolt them into reality and say hey this is what you're dealing with and it's dark and you better get out and save yourself you really yeah. better I love that. I love that advice. Nicole, you are coaching with Nicole on Instagram. You're a certified life coach, a narcissistic abuse recovery coach, and you have a website called The Living Well, which you've mentioned. And you're offering some great programs and you've got the School of Narcissistic Abuse Recovery. I mean, it all just sounds so amazing. Can you tell us everything that you're offering? Oh, okay. Got more time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, we, so at the Living Well, again, I'm a, so I do have an Instagram um, page too. It's called the Living Well One. And my website is uh, thelivingwellcoaching.com. And uh, it started off just me uh, and I, I found how to conquer narcissism in my life. And so I wanted to share that with as many women as possible. And as soon as I started, I was just bombarded with women and requests and, re and people needing assistance. Uh, and there were so many that I was working like 12, 15 hours a day, every single day, because I felt terrible for these women because there's not a lot of support out there for this particular demographic. And so I realized I needed help and I started reaching out to other coaches. And so now we have a team of professionals that help on a variety of different capacities for these ladies. Um, a lot of our services are completely free because we know most of these women do not have resources and the narcissist makes sure of that because it keeps them in a compromising position. So in order to accommodate them, we had to think very strategically on how to do that. And so we have three support groups a week. Those are on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Can find those all on my website or my Instagram page. We also those are for women. Tuesday is co-ed, and then Friday we have a male group that's ran by two male coaches, and those are all completely free. We take donations online if you want to do it, but otherwise you can still come um, completely free, and those are every single week. And then we have a, a narcissistic abuse and recovery coaching program that happens on Tuesdays uh, at two thirty, and that is a paid course. And then we have a live chat going on on Facebook as well. So there's always somebody there to talk to these ladies uh, all hours of the day when they're, they're tired and need to just communicate with people who get it. So all of those resources are available to anybody. And so if they just want to reach out to me, we can connect you guys to any of those. And we just partnered up with a nonprofit who's going to help us start raising funding so that we can help even more people 
for a much lower cost, if not free. And we want to open up the doors to everybody so that they can, because really education is the antidote. We can help them emotionally by listening to them. And that's what we do at the support groups. And they're getting amazing results. You should see what's happening in these groups because, because most of these women do know what they're going through is terrible. They just really need someone who's in their right mind, who gets it, who's been through it to say, yes, you're right in believing that. And yes, you need to move forward and do X, Y, Z that you think you know you need to do because their gut's telling them. They need someone to just give them that, that backbone that says, hey, yeah, you're right. You're on the right track. And it really catapults them right through. We get women that come in just within weeks. They, they start out saying they're depressed and they're stuck and they don't know how to deal with it. And weeks later, they're like, yeah, I've, I'm out. I'm doing better. I'm thriving. And it happens quick because they just need a nudge in the right direction. And, and it's weird too, because it's Zoom. So people I think are intimidated by that. They think, I don't really want to go to a support group. Maybe it's uncomfortable, but no, you're going to love it. These women get to connect with each other, hear each other's stories. They make friends. Like just imagine when you were going through what you went through, if you had a girlfriend that you could call who was like, yeah, I'm with a narcissist too. And that was your support system and who got it. You would be like, a hug and hug heaven. It was, it would give you really what you need in that moment. But many of us didn't have that, but they do now. So that's available to them. Oh my gosh. I love all of that, Nicole. That is so amazing. And it's so true because so many of us are just isolated in our situation and we don't find anybody else that can really help us through it. So the support groups just sound amazing. Everything that you're doing sounds amazing. And you are 100% impacting lives in such a positive way. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. 